Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. Today's message comes from Pastor Tony Ria. I don't know about you, but I absolutely love songs that talk about the love and the mercy of God. How many of you need His mercy every day? I mean every day. And that's a good thing because the Bible says that His mercies are new every morning. Uh, That means even this morning. So when we can stand before the Lord and say, God, thank you so much for your mercy, we know that it comes wave after wave each and every day. In fact, it's so powerful a truth that Jesus said to some churchgoers and church leaders, go and learn what this means. I will have mercy. Speaking of God, I will have mercy. So he's a God of love, he's a God of mercy, and he's here to minister to us this morning. Do you believe that? It's so great to have you here. As Pastor Dan has already said, welcome to Community Christian Church. We sincerely appreciate you taking the time to be in the house of God on his day. And just so you know, our objective and our idea is to give you the very best that we have to give because we know God wants you to have his very best. You know, if you, if you come over to my house and my wife is preparing a meal uh, for you, she doesn't want to give you an average meal. She wants you to leave the house saying, this is the absolute best food I've ever had in my life. And that's what we want on Sunday morning when you come. I know that's Phil's heart's desire to say, man, that was a powerful worship time. The very best that I've ever experienced. And I want you to feel that the message is for you that it's something that uh, you can receive and it can be a practical part of your life. And so I appreciate those of you who come ready to receive from God. All right, a little over 21 years ago, on March the 5th, 1997, I received a notice in the mail from the United States Department of Treasury, which is a part of the executive branch of the federal government. Now, can anybody tell me what the Treasury Department does? It manages government revenue. And when you hear that word revenue, what immediately comes to mind? The infamous IRS, or the Internal Revenue Service. And so on that occasion, the IRS sent me a 16-page document or a 16-page correspondence telling me that I owed them a little bit of money, $6,246 to be exact, $4,000 in back taxes, and $2,000 in interest. But that was only for the calendar year of 1993. They said I also owed them money for 1994, 1995, and 1996 with an estimated total fee of right around $25,000. Remember, this is back in 1997 when $25,000 was a lot of money. But then in the closing pages of the correspondence, the IRS then mentioned to me that in addition to owing money for these four years, they were also investigating the way that I had filed my taxes the eight years prior to 1993. So from 1985 to 1992, which they said would more than likely result in additional penalties and taxes and interest to the tune of about $50,000. $50,000. 
So as you can imagine, after I finished reading through the correspondence, of course I thought there must be a huge mistake here somewhere. And so I called the number that they gave me, talked with the agent that was assigned to my particular case, and then when he had my file in his hand, that's when he began to rant and rave for about 20 minutes without stopping or coming up for air. Finally, when it was my turn to talk, I told him, look, I've had the same professional licensed CPA file my taxes and prepare them for the past 12 or 13 years. I've never heard back from the IRS before. Why am I getting this notice now? And that's when he told me that my file had been flagged years earlier, and when they had gotten a confirmation of what they originally thought was me owing them some money, that's when they concluded that I did owe the money and they sent me the notice. And then my agent also went on to tell me that this, that's the reason why I had received the tan envelope from the IRS. Because this tan envelope, you know, this ugly, putrid-looking mustard color, <laughs> they only send that to people when they are about 99.9% .9 sure that they got you. And so he basically communicated to me, you owe the money. I asked him a couple of more questions, and that's when my extremely patient, understanding, and compassionate uh, IRS agent said to me, listen, pal, uh, you can do a, a couple of things here. You can hire an attorney, file a petition, and challenge my ruling in court or we can set up a payment schedule right now and you can begin to make monthly payments today. And then, I'm sorry to say, but this big bully hung up the phone. And I stood there, phone in hand, hand to my ear, nobody on the other line, in a sudden state of shock. And immediately fear and panic gripped my soul. And in a matter of a few seconds, I was sick to my stomach, and I mean physically sick. And thoughts were circulating in, around in my mind so fast, my head was spinning. I had never felt anything like that before or since. I mean, you talk about a storm. This was a tsunami. I mean a tidal wave. A giant wall of trouble coming at me with tremendous force. And the unique element of a tsunami is the wave train. All of the subsequent waves of destruction that follow the initial pounding. You see, with most storms, once the storm system is passed, once it's, once it's gone out of the area, and all of the threatening clouds and the rain and the wind are gone, they've moved on, that's when there's the potential of better weather. Might even be able to see a little sunshine. But with the tsunami, the first wave of trouble is just the beginning of a whole series of issues that you might have to contend with. And such is the case with a financial storm. There can be wave after wave after wave of trouble and stress and personal devastation. Now, whenever the subject of storms come up, or whenever we talk about these challenging and difficult seasons of life, I always think of a story that Jesus told uh, toward the tail end of his famous Sermon on the Mount. And ironically, 
Matthew records this story. And if you remember with me, Matthew, whose name was changed from Levi, he was a tax collector, a former IRS agent for Rome. And so in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27, here's what Matthew records, what he said. Jesus speaking, Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down and the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand and the rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. Here's my point in reading this passage to you this morning. It doesn't matter where you build your house or how you build your house. You can build it on a solid rock foundation and you can build it on a pile of sand. And check it out, you are going to experience storms. It doesn't matter how you build or what you build. You are going to encounter hardship and adversity in this life. Jesus said so. In in John chapter 16 and verse 33, Jesus goes on to say, in this world you will have trouble. Not you might, not it's a possibility or it could happen. You will. You will have trouble. You will go through the storms of life. But, Jesus said, be of good cheer, take heart or take courage. I have overcome the world. In other words, Jesus said, I have prevailed over every pattern of deadly weather. I have done that. And I promise you, every single time you go through a storm, I will send the power of the Holy Spirit to help you navigate that tough time. That's the promise we get from God. That's the promise we have in the Word of God, that there's troubles going to come. We're all going to go through some adversity, but every single time it happens, He's going to be right there with us. Now, it took about five weeks for me to navigate this IRS debacle. And you may say, well, five weeks is not that long at all. In fact, it's pretty quick. But when you got waves crashing in on the boat and the boat's bouncing all over the place, five weeks can seem like an eternity. And so to make this story just a little bit longer, (laughs) after setting up an appointment with the CPA and doing a little bit of investigative work, we found out that the back taxes matter all boiled down to a form that I filled out way back in 1984 when I first became a pastor. And that particular document or that form provided me with a minister's exemption of certain taxes. But the IRS was claiming that I never filed that form. At least they didn't have it in their records. And they said they never had it. Well, my CPA happened to have a copy of it in his records. So we sent it to Agent Smith. I don't remember his real name. He rejected it. He wanted the original copy, the one that was signed in blue and stamped in red. And he wanted that original copy that was filed some 13 years earlier in 1984. Now, I was in my 40s at the time. You don't save documents when you're in your 40s. You do it now. I'm an old guy. I do it now. 
Old people, they save everything, every piece of paper. <laughs> Young people, they don't save anything. So he's expecting me to find a form that I filed in 1984 and it's now 1997. Believe it or not, I found it in a dusty old box hidden away in the throes of my basement, covered with mildew and spider webs and dead spiders. And I pulled it out and I shook it off, made about a thousand copies of it at Kinko's in color. And I sent it to him. It was the original, stamped in red, approved, big, beautiful, living color, red. And a few days later, I heard back from the agent. And he said that the matter was closed, and I didn't know the government a single dime. There was no apology in with his letter. That was an extremely scary storm. It took me a full five weeks to navigate that storm. But I can tell you that God was with me every step of the way. And I promise you this, regardless of what you're going through, regardless of how the winds are blowing in your life right now and how damaging the storm may appear, God will not leave you or forsake you. Now, last Sunday, in lesson number one of this series, we took a look at a storm story found in the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 4. On that particular occasion, the Bible tells us that at the end of the day, at the end of a long day, after Jesus had spent the entire day teaching and preaching and ministering to the crowds of people, he told a bunch of parables on that day. And after the end of the day, at evening time, Jesus gave instructions for his disciples to get in the boat and go over to the other side. On this occasion, Jesus went with them. There were times when he didn't go. He just sent them on their own. But he went with them this time. He was a little bit tired, and the Bible tells us that he uh, took a nap. And the boat just got a little bit of a distance away as it was moving toward the other side of the lake when they encountered what is described as a fierce and nasty, deadly storm. And these disciples, who were seasoned fishermen, they began to fear for their lives. They were afraid, and they actually had to go and wake Jesus up. Can you believe that? They had to go bother Jesus. What man do you know ever asked for help? Not too many. These guys had to literally go and wake Jesus up and tell Jesus that they were unable to handle the boat. So Jesus stood up, told the storm to take a hike, and, the, and, and the, immediately there was calm and there was peace. But here's what I want you to see this morning. The reason I'm reviewing this story is because I, I want you to remember or understand that Jesus gave the disciples specific instructions to cross over to the other side. They were doing precisely what Jesus asked them to do. In other words, the disciples were in the very center of God's will when the storm came up. It wasn't like they decided to tell Jesus, no, we're going to do something else. It wasn't that they uh, rejected the information that they had been given and really didn't care for that decision. They were doing 
what Jesus asked them to do when they encountered uh, this horrible storm and found themselves knee-deep in all of this trouble. You see, most of the storms that we face, the majority of the storms that we face in this life, are not indicative of disobedience. Did you hear me? It doesn't mean that you're doing something wrong. All the, times when I'm, all the time when I'm talking to people and they're telling me they're going through a, a really tough season or, or, or they're really struggling with something, the, the next question is, what am I doing wrong? We just have the tendency to think we're doing something wrong. Most of the storms that we encounter are not indicative of wrongdoing. It's not because God is upset with you or, or he's mad or he's trying to get your attention or teach you something. In fact, you can be in the center of God's will, on top of your world spiritually, hitting the sweet spot in your relationship, having built and established your house on the rock and still find yourself bailing a ton of water. It just happens that way. I want you to hear me say because I'm going to say something else in just a few minutes, but I want you to hear me say this. The majority of the storms we face are not because of disobedience. Conversely, there are some other storms as well, like the storm that Jonah experienced. Remember that guy? Jonah was an Old Testament prophet. He was a man of God that God had raised up to communicate his word, God's word, to the people around him. And one day, God gave Jonah, the prophet, crystal clear instructions. He said, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh, to that great city. He didn't call it a sinful city. He didn't call it an ungodly city. He said, I want you to go to that great city, the city of Nineveh, and I want you to proclaim and speak judgment over that city. Well, as soon as Jonah received that assignment from God, he bought a one-way ticket, but not to Nineveh. No, he decided he was going to go to Tarshish. Now, Nineveh was east. Tarshish was due west. It was the opposite direction. Look at it on a map. So God told him to go this way. He decided to go this way. So he got in a boat, and just like when the disciples pushed off from shore after Jesus told them to go to the other side, as soon as these uh, seamen decided to take their journey to Tarshish, they encountered this massive, uncontrollable storm. In fact, they feared for their lives just as badly as the disciples did. And when they found out that Jonah was the culprit, that he was the one who ticked God off because he was running from God, what did they do? They threw him overboard. And check it out, read the story. As soon as Jonah's body hit the water, the storm stopped raging. And the ship was able to make their way safely onto Tarshish. But now Jonah... He's in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea all by himself, about to drown. But God in his mercy, grace, mercy, love, understanding, compassion, love the word mercy, God in his mercy prepared a giant fish to swallow Jonah up. And I often wonder which storm was worse, <laughs> the boat or the belly? You see, unfortunately, a few of the storms that we encounter are self-induced. Some of them are a direct result of bad decisions and wrong choices. In fact, Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7 says, Do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. What you sow, you will reap. 
See, there's this principle of sowing and reaping gets in the way all the time. It's a positive principle, but it can be negative too. The simple truth is your actions, our actions, will always have consequences. And when you create a mess for yourself, when through your own actions and through your behavior you find yourself in stormy waters and you know it's because of something that you have done, that's the time to face the truth and to own it, to take ownership of it. And that doesn't mean that you have to wallow in perpetual guilt and shame and condemnation. Come on, I've taught you this. You know better than that. In fact, I've spoken Romans 8, 1 over you so many times, it should be in you. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for the people of God. Say it again, there is no condemnation for the people of God. But there should be some conviction, conviction of the Holy Spirit that will lead you in a different direction. For some of you, you need the conviction of the Holy Spirit to throw you overboard. I mean, get out of the boat that you're in. Jump out today. Get off the road you're on and start walking a road that is more conducive to the plan that God has for your life. And when you do that, if you find yourself in a strange or unfamiliar, uncomfortable place for a little while, so be it. Never forget that dark, smelly, stinky fish saved Jonah's life. God has plans for us. They're good plans. And sometimes stormy weather can indicate that we need to make some changes and some adjustments. And so a few of the storms are self-induced. Most storms are not. Most storms are because we live in this world. And this morning, if you find yourself in the midst of a storm, especially if right now you're going through a trial with your finances or you've experienced some financial setbacks and I, I want to pass along a little encouragement to you because that's always my method of operation. You know, there are times when I, I, I feel uh, like I just did where God is directing a specific word to some people and he's challenging you with that word and God is giving you direction. Thank the Lord when he gives you direction. Thank God when the conviction power of the Holy Spirit comes upon us and gives us the grace to be able to make some adjustments in our lives. But the ultimate goal is encouragement from the Word of God. I always want to pass along and offer you some hope and the promise of a better tomorrow because that's what the Word of God tells us, that there, there can be a better tomorrow. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 5 and 6, Paul said this, he said, when we arrived in Macedonia, there was no rest for us. Absolutely no rest. Doing exactly and precisely what God asked us to do, we faced conflict from every direction, battles on the outside, fear on the inside. In other words, storm after storm after storm. But God. But God. Say that. But God. Who encourages those who are discouraged, encouraged us. Maybe you're here this morning and you're discouraged. 
Maybe you wouldn't even describe it as being discouraged. You would go the next step and say that you've been living your life down in the dumps. And truth be told, things haven't been going very good for you. And not too many people know this. You've not made a big deal about it. You're the kind of person that keeps it to yourself. You internalize everything. You're the one that always has a big smile on your face and a jump in your step, so no one would even expect that you're going through this kind of a storm. You're having financial problems or you're discouraged. But you just can't seem to rise above it. And this is really getting you down. And you want to have joy and you want to have faith and you want to trust in God and you want to get excited about life, but it just isn't happening for you. Now listen to what David said in Psalm 61, verses 1 and 2. David said, hear my cry, O Lord. Listen to my prayer. From the ends of the earth. This wasn't just a little shout out to God. From his car, from his office, or from his bedroom. From the ends of the earth, I call to you. When my heart grows faint or when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Now, in his masterpiece on the Psalms, a book entitled The Treasury of David, Charles Spurgeon tells us that Psalm 61 was written by David during Absalom's rebellion, which is recorded in the book of 2 Samuel. For those of you who don't know this, Absalom was David's son. And Absalom literally conspired to not only kill his father David, but to steal his throne, to actually take David's crown and wear it himself. And because this was Absalom, his son, and not some kind of an enemy, and you know, David was really good at fighting against enemies. In fact, he was one of the most successful kings uh, and warriors in the history of Israel. But because it was his son, instead of fighting against Absalom, he chose to run. And he left the palace, and he found himself living and hiding out in caves and in desert places. And he was so distraught and heartbroken over Absalom's attempt to take over his kingdom. So with the storm raging all around him, he wrote Psalm 61. And he said, Lord, I beg of you, I cry out to you, lead me to a higher and safer place. Take me somewhere that is higher than where I'm at right now. Somewhere that's going to surpass what I can do on my own. Now, uh, when a tsunami hits or when you're under a tsunami warning, the best action you can possibly take is what? To move to higher ground. The experts will tell you, the weather surface people, they'll all give you instruction Move away from the coastline and do everything that you can to find a higher place. Discouragement is not high elevation, friends. It's probably as low as you can go. Being overwhelmed, being down in the dumps, not really caring much about life or anything else. 
that will shipwreck your soul. And it will rob you of your faith. It will rob you of your joy. It will take away any amount of peace that you have. William Arthur Ward, and I close with this. A pioneer missionary in the 19th century did an extensive study on this word, discouragement. I mean, he spent a lot of time with this word. And here's the definition that he came up with. Here's what he says, William Arthur Ward. I'm going to read this real slow. Discouragement is having dissatisfaction with the past, distaste for the present, and distrust for the future. Discouragement causes a lack of gratitude for yesterday's blessings and indifference to the opportunities that lay ahead and a deep insecurity regarding strength for tomorrow. Discouragement blinds our eyes from the presence of beauty. It blinds our eyes from the concerns of others. And it blinds our eyes from the promises of God. Now, if that or any part of that definition describes you, as we close out our time together, I want to offer a prayer for you. I mean a very sincere prayer. But reality tells us that even after I pray, your situation may not change. And even after you leave church today and you leave fired up and you leave with a little bit more hope than you had, maybe you're still going to find yourself in stormy weather. But here's what I want to do for you. Here's how I want to encourage you today. Rather than me be responsible to change your situation, I just want to lead you to a higher place. That's all I want to do. I want to take you to higher ground. Because I can't control the storms like God can. I can pray that there will be peace in your life, and I do that often. But sometimes it doesn't still the storm. But when you make it to higher ground, when you are willing to shift your focus from your circumstances that are at a very low elevation and lift your eyes to the hills, which is a very high elevation, sometimes things change for you. It's perspective that's so important when it comes to God. That's what faith is all about. It's the evidence of things not seen. It's the substance of things hoped for. And so that's what I want to do. I just want to help you. I want to, I want to say, let's, let's move away from the coastline. Let's try to make it up to higher ground. All right, so let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, we thank you for your presence in this place. Lord, we've sensed it, just like Phil said from the opening song, Lord, your presence is here, your love is here, your mercy is here. And Lord, you know that these days that we're living in are stormy days, they're difficult days. You predicted them. You said that in the last days we would face trials and tests of many kinds. And Lord, it just seems right now that we can't get relief from the trouble that's in this world. And so I pray, Lord, as a congregation, 
that we could make our way to higher ground, that we would be able to see you as you really are. You're not only a creator God, a powerful God, but you're a personal God. And you care about each and every one of us. You care what we're going through, and you want us to know that you are inside our boat. And I just pray, Lord, for these closing moments that they would be powerful, that they would be life-changing. I pray, Father, that these next three or four minutes would be life-changing. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Thanks again for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. For more messages like this and other resources, visit us online at cccsterling.org.